and welcome to Screen Babble, your guide to what to watch. We'll be tuning into hours and hours of TV so we can tell you what you need to be switching on and what's to be avoided. I'm your host, Kelly Crichton, and as ever, resident TV critic Stephen Rass is here. In some pleasant news today, I can reveal we have a new co-host. You've heard him before and he left you wanting more. It's digital journalist for National World, Benjamin Jackson. Hey, look, thank you for uh, employing me full time and letting me sip on the Kool-Aid. That is Screen Babble. Ah, it's a, it's a pretty, oh. big shoes to fill, though. Big shoes to fill. Yes, absolutely. And um, I'm sure Alex will be influencing you from afar or maybe from closer by as well. Maybe. Oh, I, I, <laughs> um, I would hope so. <laughs> Remember, if you want to see our faces, you can head over to Freeview Channel 276 Shots, which is brought to you by a network of journalists across the country who are transforming stories at the heart of your community into great TV. You'll find true crime stories, football news and analysis, plus coverage of lifestyle TV, film and much, much more. If you haven't tuned in before, each week we'll be chatting about what we're watching, as well as looking Looking more closely at a new program or something making the headlines in the deep dive. This week, Stephen is talking to us about 007 Road to a Million, a new reality TV competition hosted by Brian Cox, of all people. Very interesting. And finally, we go back to the future to tell you about a program you may have missed when it first aired or streamed. This week, Benji has brought out the big guns for his first slot as new co-host, the big daddy of box sets, bad guys and brilliant writing, it's yeah. the Sopranos! Dun, dun, dun. But first, we like to talk about what everyone has been watching. So, Stephen, you're up first. Tell yeah, us. I've actually knocked out the park this week. Oh, so, I watched Killers of the Flower Moon, The Killer, Ooh. and The Royal Hotel. Oh my gosh, so, we're going to be on with you for like 15 minutes. Okay. Basically, didn't leave the cinema. Ah, right, go on. So, start. Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Scorsese, yeah? Yeah, I love Scorsese, love everything he does, everything he touches tends to gold. Didn't love Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, it had that, it was it was good, it was obviously really good and in parts it was amazing, but I knew before I went in that it wouldn't need to be three and a half hours. Mm. The Irishman was a really good film that didn't need to be three and a half hours. You know, The Goodfellas was a really good film that didn't need to be two and a half. He, he has, he's obviously going to get employed now regardless mm. and they're not no one's going to tell Martin Scorsese to cut are they so he's become very self-indulgent in his three and um, a half hours I'm like when when in my life would I have three and a half hours to do anything <laughs> it's a long time like well you know half this a is day. the life you'd have to take TV a half day from work to watch it I should have, I should have, but I went, I went one evening. It was good. It's an interesting story. Obviously, DiCaprio is very good in it. The problem is with films based on true stories is that when you criticise the plot, you're never sure whether you're criticising it fairly because yeah. they were just following the plot. But I felt the way that... Tell, tell us, sorry, the theme... for those who don't know, can you tell us the plot? Just <laughs> yeah, it's very a very quickly. good point. Everyone will be aware of the intricacies. Basically, it's about the Serge County tribe, um, a Native American tribe in sort of the 1920s, sort of post-First World War America. Um, and this military veteran, well, I think he worked as a, as a chef um, during the war, the Great War, comes over to the Osage County uh, where he spends time with his uncle. So this is Leonardo DiCaprio comes over and meets up with his uncle, who is Robert De Niro. Mm -hmm. And 
he falls in love with a Osage County tribe woman through his uncle sort of gets embroiled in a plot to kill all of her family to inherit her wealth because the Osage County is very wealthy because they have oil land. Mm. Very interesting, very compelling, very long. Before I saw it, someone said to me that they didn't think it felt like three and a half hours. It, it, it does. It feels like three and a half hours. I think if it was two and a half, it would have been fantastic. There was a lot that could have been just tightened up. Um, mm. Obviously worth seeing because it's it's Scorsese and it's phenomenally made. But my main gripe, and again, this is probably to do with the plot, so I don't know how fair it is, but the characterization of the female lead felt a bit weak um, in her response to what was happening to her family. She seemed to not have very much agency, despite the fact that that didn't feel in the environment like that would have been the case. Um, okay. So that was very good. And then if I quickly jump onto The Killer and The Royal Hotel, which I double-billed yesterday because I had a day off, The Killer I went into with high expectations and The Royal Hotel I went into with low expectations, and I was pleasantly surprised by both. The Killer is the new David Fincher film, stars Michael Fassbender as an assassin who botches a job. Friend of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> who who botches a job, and then his employer attempts to get even with him, and then he sort of John Wicks it and goes on this like quest for revenge. But it's very much more stripped back. The opening is fantastic. The opening is just him preparing for the hit, and it's mostly told through him narrating. There's very little dialogue in the film it's mostly fastbender mm. narrating very cool it's very similar to john wick in plot but execution is completely different there's a fantastic fight scene midway through but apart from that it is a lot more just restrained i guess it, it was amazing loved it Great. and then i watched the royal hotel uh with julie garner and jessica henwick as the two female leads they're u.s mm -hmm. sorry canadian backpackers that have mm -hmm. travelled to Australia um, to just have a good time. They run out of money in Sydney and go to this like outback hotel in this like really remote mining village um, where they have a clientele of just rowdy, drunken, boorish men. And the owner of the hotel is a very alcoholic Hugo Weaving, who's fantastic. I was reading a few reviews before I went to see it because it had like a rubbish rating online, which... I don't normally sort of live and die by, but normally when it's as rubbish as it is, there's something wrong with it. I didn't know if it was just mm. because it's it's a feminist film and that sometimes they get review bombed. But people were complaining, I think because it's billed as a thriller and it, it just, yeah. I would say it is, but a lot of people didn't feel it was because it's not a traditional thriller because very little happens. But there's this, it was so anxiety inducing. It was like a um, boiling point yeah. because there was just this pervading sense of these guys are really creepy and something's about yeah. to go wrong. So I heard something about how it portrays very, very well that sort of potential for misogyny, violence against women. Absolutely. But without, but without brutal violence sort of thing, you know. For the um, most part, yeah. Um, it's yeah. not like nothing goes wrong, but it's not like a outback horror movie. You know, like yeah. um, Texas Chainsaw, The Hills Have Eyes type thing. It's it's much more grounded, and it's like you. 
it really places you in it, in that environment, and you're like, oh, this is horrible, just leave, just leave. But then obviously they're in this remote outback place and there's a bus every two days and they need to get paid. And what's really good is that some of the miners are like quite nice and they're quite friendly, but then when they get like rejected or they don't get their way or they can't play the hero, they get really pissed off. And it's like it's a really good representation of that Um well, toxic masculinity, I guess, not to sort of trot that old line out. But yeah, it was it was fantastic in a totally different way. Yeah. Cool. My God, that's a lot. So, you know, if anybody is thinking of going to the cinema this weekend, you have some good options there. And especially if you don't have the three and a half hours for Flowers of the Killer Moon. Yeah, movie, weirdly, a couple other Scott says he's probably third down on my list for, for, the, for this week. I think that'll probably stay in the cinema quite a long time, though, won't it? Because it's such a commitment. So, yeah. you know, maybe it'll still be there come Christmas when people have a bit of time off mm. and they can, you know. Yeah, I should mention The Killer is out on Netflix this week. As well. Oh, is it? Oh, excellent. Okay, cool. Oh, exciting. Great. I'm something to watch the weekend, hooray. Fab. Okay, I'm going to go really quickly because I don't have an awful lot to talk about. I finished Boiling Point. You just mentioned that. I love this series. I think it was so well done. Each of the episodes kind of focused a little bit on one or two of the characters in it. And we kind of got all their stories separately. And but it's very much open for a third series. So I think it's going to come back again. And I just loved it. It just it's one of those programs that they don't have to say everything, you know, and I love those programs where they let you infer things and they let you imagine things and they let you think about stuff around the edges. You just get a taste of things. And I just really like those programs because it lets you build up and use your own imagination rather than everything being very explicit, you know. So I really enjoyed that. And I finished, what else did I finish? Oh, The Bear season one, which I thought was one of the best season finales I've seen in many years. And I was so surprised with it. And I just thought it was brilliant. It's a little bit, it's a little bit happy clappy, but I really loved it. And I've started season two of that. And then the last thing to say is continuing with Big Brother don't hate me. Right. Over to you, Benji. What have you been watching recently? I'm conscious we've got to talk about The Sopranos on this episode. So it's like, Jesus Christ, hurry up, everybody. <laughs> I mean, I can be quick. I mean, I got COVID on my week off. So I thought nothing better to do than embrace myself in the warmth of three vampires from Staten Island and rewatch the Hooray. entirety of what we do in the shadows. I mean... Being a New Zealander, I was always a bit dubious because I loved the movie that Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement did. Um, and it was uh, definitely a, a bit of a pop culture phenomenon back in New Zealand. So when they said they were going to do a television series about it, I thought, oh, I don't know how this is going to go mm-hmm. down. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I regret Did they make not- it as well or did somebody else make it? Uh, I believe Taika and Jermaine came on as producers, but it was mainly Kyle Nuwacek, who was a director and creator for the Comedy Central series Workaholics. Uh, He basically assumed the directing responsibilities for the most, but Matt Berry's just an absolute comedic genius. And the the only reason why is the way that he likes to mispronounce things. Like, you know, (laughs) I understand you were from New York City, or or how he pronounces Manhattan. So even if you don't want to sit through the entire five seasons, and what's wrong with you if you don't, jump on YouTube and check out the supercuts of um, Laszlo Cravens worth uh, mispronouncing things. But... (laughs) Love it. Just do yourself a favor and watch the whole thing again. It's on a Disney Plus subscription yeah. required, but definitely well worth your subscription. Cool. Excellent. Okay. Um, and you did a lot of 
the Sopranos as well, but we'll get onto that in a little while, yeah? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, well, we'll save that. We'll okay. definitely save that. Okay, excellent. Oh, look at that. We're bang on time. Right. Okay, Stephen, back to you. So you were going to talk about new TV series, 007, Road to a Million. Sounds kind of like a new format-ish but it's so it's reality TV competition with Brian Cox hosting. Is it sort of Survivor esque? I know there's obviously the 007 is a Bond thing. Sure. But, uh, oh, anyway, tell us. I won't speculate yeah. anymore. So no point. this is more of a preview than a review, um, just because of embargoes, etc. But yeah, this yeah. is a it's essentially a quiz show, but with a Survivor, I guess, element to it. So Brian yeah. Cox, not the professor, the the um, thespian, the succession actor. Um, Brian Cox plays the controller. Yeah. Who is a sort of shadowy figure who's not seen. Well, we see him, but the contestants don't. And he it's sort of like Jigsaw makes a lot of recordings. And, you know, you must it's find... like a menacing Alan Sugar. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. And they're, they're sort of like... I, I guess his thing in it is he's playing an evil Bond villain. It's road yeah. to a million because I think the the top prize is about a million pounds. Well, I say about it, it'll be a million pounds, won't it? Wow. And these contestants, you are pairs of contestants. They're like friends or siblings or you know two people that are related in some way. And each episode will show a couple of these pairs separately competing as pairs to find suitcases, like you know those mysterious spy suitcases yeah. that Bond would pick up that have a bomb in. Okay, and they'll be yeah. like. A question inside they have a multiple choice and then the first question you get it right you get five grand and then it's 10 grand and then 25 and you're working you work to like a million sounds like this the the what was that thing annika rice's thing it sounds like that yeah <laughs> oh, challenge annika am i old enough to remember challenge annika in a helicopter <laughs> i well i don't i don't remember it because we didn't have we, well, we only had Irish terrestrial TV when I was growing up. But, yeah, doesn't it sound like that? You get a clue, you move along. <laughs> At one point, they were sort of hiking in Scotland to find a a question in, in like, a lock. And then another point, yeah. they're in Italy and they're having to run around Italy to find a very specific room in a hotel where there'll be a question. Okay. It's not celebrities, is it? It's regular No, it's just, it's just regular people. Yeah. Um, it, it, it feels a bit like watching celebrity hunted in some ways because it's all about the environment and running around and through it to find the clues and yeah i I thought maybe brian cox had been a bond villain in the past and that's why i've been picked because he seems like he would have played a bond villain right yeah yeah Um, definitely i think i was thinking of him in x-men oh yes yes, yes. but yeah he's the he's the as you say sort of a Machiavelli he's, and Alan Sugar type. Yeah, he, he's built that profile as well now, hasn't he? The kind of, yeah. you know, bad guy profile with his character in succession and stuff. So he maybe is, well, they'll hardly use him for a future Bond villain now if he's doing this thing, but he would have been quite a good future Bond villain, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, okay. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's essentially a quiz show, but half yeah. of it, or more than half of it, is sort of finding the quiz questions and okay. getting through the riddles, etc. And if you get a question wrong, you're sort of out. That's it. Your time's done. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so tell us, where is that and when is that? This is on Amazon Prime. There's eight episodes yep. and they'll all be released in one go on Friday the 10th. I feel like there's a bit of activity sort of maybe to challenge um, 
Oh, God, what was that one that was out last winter with Claudia Winkleman? Oh, The Traitors. The Traitors. There's that yeah. sort of, isn't it? Which is returning. Interesting. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much for that, Stephen. And now, Benji, we go over to you for probably the best TV programme of all time. No pressure. The Sopranos. Yeah, no pressure whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> I would go as far as to say it is one of the best TV shows of all time. I would even say that... James Gandolfini's role as Tony Soprano influenced many, many, many people mm-hmm. afterwards as well. You know, it was a kind of television character that perhaps we hadn't come across before where he wasn't strictly a bad guy, but he definitely wasn't a good guy. And yeah. Gandolfini playing in those grey areas of, you know, doing what's necessary for the family versus doing what's necessary for the mob that he's involved in. Yeah. Um, it, it, well, Put it this way, Brian Cranston did an interview where he said that Walter White definitely was influenced by mm-hmm. the Tony Soprano character and a litany of other kind of anti-heroes that we've watched on TV since The Sopranos debuted on HBO in 1999. But interestingly, I like the train of thought if we're deep diving into it, and I've watched it quite a few times, so I wanted to keep an eye on it this time round that... There are two schools of thought when it comes to The Sopranos. Mm -hmm. There is the school of thought that David Chase, with his last roll of the dice, decided that he wanted to incorporate some surrealistic elements into the show, Mm -hmm. which is why we end up getting things like the the ducks, the singing Billy Bass Fish, Mm. the the fever dream that uh, Tony had... uh, towards the i don't want to ruin it because it's it's fantastic but the fever dream where a fish spoke to him that revealed who the rat was within his group all the way through to the episode cold cuts with that absolutely ridiculous freeze frame moment on tony's wife and it just just Mm. in like completely surreal elements but then you go further into the I series. Just and to interrupt it, you a second, Benji. Yeah. I think the thing is to say that we didn't, we hadn't really seen that stuff on television before then. That surrealist in it, such a mainstream I mean, genre, like ma- mob, mob mafia yeah. thing. You know, like there was no, it kind of went into corners we'd never been in before in those genres for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, even going back to the whole Tony Soprano character, you think mobster, you think big bad with a cigar, you know, at, at the head of the table, dressed up in like fantastic suits, akin to, like Stephen mentioned earlier, the likes of Scorsese's Goodfellas and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. to see him just schlebbing around in like a, a dressing gown and entering a pool to, to feed ducks. And talking to a psychologist. I mean, come on. And talking to a psychiatrist. Yeah, absolutely talking to a psychiatrist. But I do feel that halfway through, David Chase decided, I'm just going to turn this into a straight crime drama. And then you get, like, honestly, one of the best storylines. So intricate, so intriguing. Um, It's unfair to just call it a mobster TV series. I think that it's a a series that is based around the dynamics of the Soprano family. Mm -hmm. My only problem with the Sopranos is I found AJ just completely insufferable towards the end. Mm -hmm. Completely insufferable. But given that it was David Chase's first kind of roll of the dice uh, creating TV series, he had some problems 
beforehand, nothing really picked up. Mm. It was a hell of a final gambit that he threw down, and it still resonates to this day. Yeah. I don't want to mention the ending, even though oh. everybody knows about the ending. It Where, was so because polarizing. I, yeah, because I watched up to the last three episodes and I've never seen the last three episodes. And I've always held off because I was like, I'm going to watch it all again right through to the end. And this is like 99, this is 20 years I've been saying this. Well, probably 15 by the time I had actually watched all of the box sets the first time around. But yeah, so please don't. I roughly know what happens, when, but when I haven't seen finish, it. Yeah. You need to come back on and tell us what you thought of the ending. Um, yeah, yeah, please, please do. I better get on it, so. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. But yes, I know, I remember it was very polarising, but it was like people were quite shocked, I think. Brave, the brave yeah. ending, I would say. Very, like, for yeah. a show. Of yeah, that, very however, brave. An incredibly brave ending. So, yeah, so very sadly, obviously, we lost James Gandolfini um, in the interim and, you know, it would have been great to see what he, what else he might have gone on to do in later life, but um, it it's prompted a few more careers, hasn't it? I mean, Eddie Falcone's been done amazing stuff since. Oh, I mean, she was brilliant in Nurse Jackie, which yeah, if I, I, love I remember Nurse correctly, Jackie. yeah, I love yeah, that. which I remember yeah. was one of her first roles after The Sopranos mm. came to an end. Going before The Sopranos, though, she also played one of the prison guards in the HBO series Oz. Okay. So, yeah. you know, she had a bit of a pedigree behind her. Yeah. Um, Michael Imperioli, I only discovered afterwards, had a very close connection with director Spike Lee. Mm. So they collaborated a few times. Mm. He went on to do uh, that incredible podcast during the pandemic uh, with the actor who plays Bobby. I'm not going to try and pronounce his name because I don't want to try and butcher it, <laughs> uh, which was great. That got span off into a book. And yeah, I mean, we lost Paulie Walnuts, who I think is the MVP yeah. of, of that fantastic, series as well. Um, how How someone who can be so unnerving at, to watch yeah. at the same time can just provide such an element of comic relief. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I think that is the beauty of Sopranos, how it's not a complete knee-jerk when those real sinister acts happen. Mm -hmm. It just seems that it's That's a means to an end. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think that is the whole... Tony Soprano character is you you want to dislike him but yeah. when he lets off that little smile he has that little twinkle in his eye he's got that yeah. boyish charm you're like oh you know he's just a means to an end that you suddenly find yourself justifying his actions throughout the series to the point where you go I don't know how much of this I can justify anymore there's that bit where his daughter's getting harassed and you're just so rooting for him to just Go up shit on the guy. <laughs> oh no, absolutely. And then to juxtapose that when he, when um Jamie Lynn Spears, uh the actress, when she has that scene where she brings home her boyfriend or friend at the time from university who happens to be a black person, mm -hmm. and then you just see the inherent racism that Tony Soprano has, and at those kind of moments you go Oh yeah, maybe you're not the uh, the charming boyish person yeah. you are. Yeah, it's that it's that way. It challenges us and our views of other people and the complexities of people's characters. And that you know, oftentimes when you watch TV program, you're either for someone or you're against them. But in these kind of yeah. programs, it really toys with your emotions. It kind of reminds me a little bit yeah. of Sopran or not Soprano Succession, where 
you kind of are rooting for them even though you don't like them, you know, and then and and that kind of really gets to you at a different level than most TV programs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like with Succession, much like The Sopranos, I found my moral compass for the characters constantly changing. Totally. So like, totally. I'd be happy with Rory Culkin doing something one minute and then the next minute going, wait, why? Why I can't justify this. Uh-huh. And I'm like trying to justify to my friends yeah, yeah. what this character's done and thinking, it's a fictional character. Why am I getting so invested? Totally. But The Sopranos, much like Succession recently, it'll do it for you. It will. And it's just, yeah, it's an important television show and I think it's a watershed moment. And as bold as a claim as this might be, I think that without The Sopranos, perhaps television dramas wouldn't be taken quite as seriously as they mm-hmm, are now. Mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. Sopranos, maybe no Game of Thrones, maybe no The Wire, uh, none of that kind of idea where you could tell intricate movie-style plots across an episodic series. So... It's very important. It was the start of Prestige TV, wasn't it? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. It made HBO what HBO is now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I mean, we could talk. We could have... I mean, there's whole whole podcast series about The Sopranos and we've tried to talk about it in about six minutes. So apologies, yeah. listeners. We'll maybe come back to it again when I finish watching it. <laughs> when I start. So, yeah, thank you so much for that, Benji. That was a wonderful first foray into Back to the Future for your uh, as permanent co-host. So thank you all for listening. Do look out for Friday morning's Screen Babble Weekend Watch, which will preview what to watch over the weekend and beyond. Oh, wait, one question before we go. Where is yes. can people see Sopranos now? Uh, you can watch it on Now TV. And don't be fooled if it constantly says that, oh, it's going to go at a certain time. Now TV's never going to get rid of that property (laughs) at all. Very good. Okay, if you have any suggestions for what TV we need to get into our lives, drop us a line via our social media. Find us on Twitter at National World TV and on all platforms as National World. We'd love for you to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so we can reach as many TV lovers as possible. We'll be back next week with more Screen Babble. Bye, everyone. Ciao. Bye-bye. Bye.